Ehre. Keine Männer in Deutschland leben mit ihr. In der Arbeit der Faust bittere Seelen wir als in irgendeiner anderen Arbeit. Durch eure Schule wird die ganze Nation gehen. the master race, the prototype of manhood, demigods of power, the only race in whom the divine spark still resided. They strove for the ideal perfection of bodily form. Within their mortal bodies flowed the blood of the immortal, the primal Aryan from whom they descended, a figure of myth more so than actual history. With self-idolatry and brute force, they spread across Europe, exterminating all those they considered inferior. Jews, Christians, Gypsies, slaves, communists, the elderly, and the disabled. Across the ocean, in the land of the free and the home of the brave, voices of pacifism, neutrality, and isolationism rose. They were the voices of those who had struggled and survived the country's worst economic depression. They were the voices of those who had survived another war, the Great War that was to have ended all wars. They were the voices of self-preservation, the voices of fear. But above the voices rose another. This was the voice of a veteran, one who had seen war and one who hated war. It was the voice of an American, one who wanted to shrug his shoulders and go about his business, believing conflicts thousands of miles away did not seriously affect him. But it was also the voice of the president, one who knew that when peace was broken anywhere, Peace everywhere was in danger. It was the voice of a president who, wanting pacifism, but knowing war was inevitable, worked slowly but steadily to aid the Allied cause even before joining the war. It was the voice of a president who, though bound in a wheelchair, would ultimately rise to become a world leader, instrumental in the Allied cause and the collapse of Nazi power in Europe. We all know that words are uh, powerful things. Um, when we speak them, they can have impact. And we look at the clip there and can see over and over again how the power of words shaped uh, history. And I think the truth is that in our own lives, day-to-day uh, -day lives, uh, words have the same kind of power. But there's also times in our day-to-day -day lives where we just don't let those words out. There's, uh, I'm sure, the experience you've had that, that I've had, we've all had, those times where, you know, we're talking with someone and we can just sense that God is telling us to open our mouths and say something. Sometimes it's a, a graceful word, sometimes it's a difficult word, but it's a word that should be spoken. And yet, in our minds, we're running through it, and we keep thinking things like, well, how would they feel, and, and, and what, if I say that, what will that mean in our relationship? And so, you know, we think about all those things in the, in the kind of those quick seconds in our minds to the point that by the time we run through all of it, and, and maybe even got to a point where we're ready to say something, we end up saying, oh, too late. 
right? Oh, too late. Shoot. Should have said something. I, You know, gosh darn it. I should have just opened my mouth and I just should have said something, right? Had that experience? Good. Thanks. Not, feels makes me feel good. I'm not the only one. Appreciate that. Well, as we look at the life of Joshua, be strong and courageous, as we look at Joshua's life, we're going to see today an experience uh, that's in Numbers 13. So if you want to follow in the word there, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to do a lot of work in Numbers 13 and 14 today. So just go ahead and open there. Uh, you'll see today in the experience of, of Joshua and Caleb and, and the people of God, um, the importance of words and the importance of being able to just be courageous and be bold and just be strong and just speak out. And uh, young people, this is like especially important for you to hear today uh, because you're, you're going to be under such pressure uh, to keep your mouth shut. And you just need to know there's a God who wants you to speak and can encourage you and give you the courage to do that. So let's kind of get into the word and look at Numbers uh, 13. And the situation that's underway is uh, God's people have been rescued from Egypt, right? God brought them out of Egypt and out of slavery. You know, he parted the Red Sea and defeated Pharaoh's armies, and he brought them to Mount Sinai, and they've been, you know, the Mount Sinai experience and made the covenant with God, and the mountain rumbled to the presence of God. And, and now they've made their way all the way to the bottom portion uh, of the promised land, right? So they've left Egypt, Mount Sinai, and they've wandered up, and now they've made their way to that incredible place that God promised them, uh, the promised land. And all of this has probably taken somewhere around a year, right? This is the fast route, right? Before they wandered in the wilderness, this is the fast route. So Egypt to Sinai, up to the bottom side now of the promised land. They get there. And we pick it up in Numbers uh, chapter 13. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Cana, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So they're at the bottom end, and God says to Moses, Hear what you, hear what you do. Just go ahead and send out one person from every tribe. Go check it out. Now, I want you to notice that I highlighted for you Check out what? The land I'm giving to the Israelites. So remember, this is a done deal. This, this is the land they're going to get. This, this is the land that he's chosen for them. But now he's saying, look, we, it's right there in front of us. So before we go in, go just go check it out. Find out how awesome this land is, right? It's kind of like when uh, uh, my family would go camping in the summer. You know, we, we had the pop-up camper behind the van and... And, you know, we'd have our reservation for such and such campsite at the state park. And, uh, you know, we'd pull in and we'd get to our campsite and the side door in the van would open up and my three kids would, boom, pile out, you know. And, you know, while Dad's figuring out how to put the camper up again, uh, they were off just scurrying everywhere, right? They're just like out there checking it out, right? Just going down this path and finding out how far to the bathroom and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right? And then they all come back and say, oh man, this is so cool, Dad. This is the best site ever, you know, and we went here and we went there. Right? Well, it's kind of like that's what's happening, right? They're, they're kind of there. I mean, the place is reserved. The money's down. This is what they're going to get. This is the land you're going to get. So now go check it out. Just, just have some fun. Go, go check it out. Kind of put a strategy together to conquer the land. Go check it out. It all makes sense, doesn't it? So they do. They go check it out. And it says, 
When they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and the figs. So they go check it out. And while they're checking out uh, this valley, they find how incredible this place is. It's so incredible that the grapes are so big that they have to chop it off, put it on a pole, and have two guys carry each side of the pole because the grapes are so ginormous. That's a word, right? Ginormous? You get that word anyway, right? I mean, they're just they're, they're, they're huge, right? Now, tell me this. Has anybody seen anybody coming out of, you know, Sendex or Metro Market or Piggly Wiggly or wherever you... You ever see anybody coming out carrying a pole with, with grapes on it? I suspect not, right? I mean, they're in little plastic bags. So think about how big this thing is. What's it trying to tell you? They go into the land and they find it exactly the way God promised it would be. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is an incredible land. It is the fulfillment of everything that God told them it was going to be. And they go out and they check it out and they bring back the evidence of how incredible not only the land is, but the evidence of how incredible God's Word is. He told us it was going to be this way, and look at this land. It is incredible. And they said, we enter the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produced. Just what God said. It is an abundant place. And at that point, you would think, right, they would all speak out and say, yes, God, let's go, let's get after it. But there's more to the report, right? There's more to the report. And what we're going to see is as they start giving the more of the report, we're going to see the things that keep people from claiming the future that God has in front of them and speaking out. It keeps them from speaking out and claiming that future that's out there in front of them. What happens? They begin to tell more. And what they begin to tell is a, is a list of obstacles of fear. And they begin to focus on the obstacles of fear. And the truth, it seems, is that whenever you focus on the obstacles of fear, the obstacles of fear will be greater than your memory of the greatness of God. And if you do that, you won't go into your future and you won't speak out. Here's what it looks like. They said, but the people living there, these people are powerful. And their towns, they're large. They're fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. What are they doing? They're coming up with a list that says, oh my gosh, this is, this is not good. These people are big. They're giants. Their cities are overwhelming, large and fortified. I mean, they're starting to look at all the obstacles they're going to face, right? 
They're looking at all the obstacles they're going to face. And, and as they look at the obstacles, they begin to see these obstacles as so big and so overwhelming. And because they're so big and so overwhelming, they forget, they forget everything God has already done. And they concentrate only on these huge obstacles. I mean, think about this. It's only been a year. It's only been roughly a year since they were at the, at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Who? Pharaoh, the guy that was the greatest, most powerful ruler in the entire region, who had the biggest, strongest, and most fortified army in the entire region, is coming down on them, and God dispatched his army like nothing with some water. And they forget it. They forget it. And instead, they begin concentrating just on the obstacles. Is that not like us? When difficulties come, when challenges come, when things don't seem to go our way, we look at the situation, and what is it we always see first? The obstacles. We always see the obstacles. And once we start identifying those obstacles and listing those obstacles, we finally get to a place, probably the same place that the Israelites came to, as their future is right out there in front of them, as they have the evidence of how awesome and good God is in fulfilling His promises. They end up saying, yeah, it's not going to happen. We cannot go up against them. They are stronger than we are. What did they do? Instead of keeping their focus on God, they started focusing on themselves and they fell into that old game that we fall into it's called the comparison game have you heard of this game yes the comparison game we start comparing ourselves and our situations with everybody else's and they start comparing themselves and they say oh they're giants they got fortified cities they got all those armies and what are we we're just a bunch of slaves who left Egypt and all we've got is a few swords and some clubs we don't know anything about trying to attack a city we don't know anything about trying to overtake a land we don't have any of the equipment we need how in the world could we even think of overwhelming these obstacles and their conclusion yeah, it can't happen. Can't happen. Isn't that so easy to get in that place? To get in the place where we just forget everything God has done, and instead we just focus and we start playing the comparison game, and we let life become such a huge obstacle instead of an opportunity. And look what they do. They begin looking at those obstacles and then they use their mouths to magnify the obstacles. They start speaking. But when they're speaking, they speak out about how incredibly large and overwhelming life is, how difficult the situation is. They say they spread this bad report throughout the whole land of the Israelites. The land that we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes in there to live. All the people we saw there, were, they were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. You see how they're magnifying it? I mean, anybody, anybody, anybody 
There, I mean, anybody in the world who would try to go in and live there would just be just be crushed to the bone. They'd just be ground right up. I mean, to live there would be so hard. It makes you kind of wonder how the people who are living there are doing it, isn't it? I mean, how are they getting by? Oh, but it'd be so hard. It'd be so overwhelming. Besides, they're huge. I mean, everybody that lives there. Now, in the first report, they said, well, there are some giants there. But now, all of a sudden, what? Everybody that lives there, the whole population, they're just huge and ginormous people. There's no way we could go. You see how they're magnifying the situation? Isn't that what we do? It is so easy to look at the obstacle and let the obstacle become so overwhelming that when we begin to talk about the obstacle, we magnify the difficulty of the obstacle. Even to the point, by the time they get to the this end of this section, verse 33, it says, Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. These guys are so magnifying the situation, they even know what everybody else is thinking who lives in the land. They even know what they're thinking, right? Guys, you identify with this, right? I mean, your wife says to you all the time, you should know what I'm thinking, right? And they're doing the same thing. Well, they, this, is, uh, this is what they think. We're nothing. You see how they magnify the situation? That's what happens so often, especially in those moments when we're confronted with the opportunity to speak out. But we run it through our head real fast, and we begin thinking, and we begin magnifying. And, and we create the worst opportunity if we say anything, it could really make everything go wrong. And we find all the reasons, and we magnify all the reasons of why we should just say nothing. In the situation with the people of God, there was two guys who didn't listen to any of that. Two guys who went out and spied out the land, Caleb and Joshua. And it says in the middle of it all, Caleb tries to quiet the people, and he says, let's go. Let's get to it. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of the people saying we can't. Now keep in mind, these are two guys who are standing up, not just to ten who gave a bad report. They're standing up to a whole nation who's grumbling now about how terrible things are. And these two guys have the nerve to be able to step in, step out, and speak out in the face of all that. Don't you want to be them? So how can you do that? How, how is it possible for Joshua and Caleb to, to take such a stance? The answer seems to be they were able to speak out because they were focused not on the obstacles, but they were confident in God's plan. They didn't focus on the obstacles. Instead, you'll hear in what they say here, what they focus on is, listen, this is God's plan. And, and they're so focused on God's plan that the obstacles, obstacles become meaningless. Here's, here's what they said. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephnu, tore their clothes. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. 
Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What are they saying? When you live in God confidence, when you understand that God has a future for you, that God has spoken promises over your life, when you understand the impact and the power of what it means to have God on your side, the obstacles become insignificant. And you can step into the future. And you can step out and you can speak out. See, Joshua and Caleb in this speech are saying, listen, don't forget, God told us it was going to be an abundant land. And I went and I saw and it was. God fulfills his promises. He has a purpose for his people. And he will fulfill his promises. And that's all we need to know. And because we know that, we can just step out. And because we know that, we can just speak out. We can speak out because we know God's planned promises and purposes are over our lives. Now, when you do that, I'm going to be honest with you and warn you, like with Joshua and Caleb, when you, when you do that, when you begin to speak out, you have to understand there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. So it's going to look like this. You're going to start just speaking out because you remember what God has done in your life and, and you just can't help yourself and you start speaking out. So you're at the next family reunion and you start telling some of your family members what Christ means in your life and they're going to say, well, that's really great, but can't we have one family reunion where you don't bring up Christ? <laughs> and the answer is, no, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't do that because I just got to tell you, this guy, this Christ is so incredible in my life. And I got to tell you, everything that he's done, I mean, he's swallowed up Pharaoh's army and he swallowed up all the obstacles in my life and he's opened up a future for me I could never have on my own. Are you kidding me? You want me to not tell you about that? Of course I got to tell you about that. You see, that's what it, when we know God has a purpose and a plan, it opens up the opportunity where we just step out. And we say, yes, I'm, I don't. The consequences. What are the, what are the consequences? Or are you going to go to work and, and your, your co-workers are going to say, you know, it's great that you talk about your church once in a while, but you have to talk about your church all the time. And the answer is. Yes, I have to because my life was here before I went there and now it's here. And God has just been working mightily in my life. You won't believe the stories of what God's been doing in these people's lives. Yes, I got to tell you because if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. And I want you to know your life could be completely, absolutely different in Christ. Yes, I have to tell you. Joshua and Caleb could not not step forward and tell the people, people, you're forgetting what God promised. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. We saw it. It's good. It's wonderful. Let's go get it. They couldn't help themselves. And that's the way it is for us, hopefully, that when we see how God has worked in our life, when we experience the power of His Spirit in our lives, of His grace in our life, His forgiveness in our life, We've got to be able to speak about it. we just got to speak about it. It's part of moving in to the promise. After all, it is called the promised land. 
It's the land of promise. And we got promises over our lives. And so Joshua and Caleb speak and they don't worry about the consequences. And there's always the consequences. If you look at what happens to them and what happens to the people. God steps into the situation in a mighty way. It says, The glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them, I will disown them and destroy them and with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. That's consequences. That's consequences. I mean, did you hear what God is saying there? They, they, they won't step out into my promises. They, they won't step out into my promised land, even though I've done all this in their life. Even though I, I did all those plagues in Egypt that set them free. Even though I devoured, devoured Pharaoh's army and parted the sea for them. Even though I met them on the mountain and gave them my word and covenant. Even though I fed them manna every single morning in a miracle. Even though I covered the camp with quail because they wanted to eat meat. Even though I'd done all that. And they're still afraid to speak. And they're still afraid to act. There's consequences. There's just consequences. And for the people of Israel, there was difficult consequences. Because they failed to speak, because they failed to act and move into the future, God says, finally, after uh, Moses kind of pleads with him and says, no, don't, don't kill them all off that way, don't do that, because Egypt's going to hear about it and say, look, you're a horrible God because you just came, brought them out there to kill them all off. Don't, don't do that, God. He says, okay, I won't kill them off right away. But they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for every spy that, came, that went into the land. Uh, one year uh, for uh, everybody that just didn't listen, right? So he translates that, and they wander for 40 years. And the outcome is everybody who was there on that day dies, except for two guys. What two guys? Joshua and Caleb. You see, there's consequences. There's consequences. But there's also the consequence of opportunity that when God hears us speak out, He honors what we speak. When God hears us step out, believing in His promises, He honors our steps. And so Joshua and Caleb are the only ones in the whole nation who were able to walk into eventually the promised land. What's the word for us? Well, in our day, in our time, there's still a land to be conquered. It's the land of your next door neighbor. It's the land of your coworkers. It's the land of your family members. It's the land of all those people who are still far away from Christ. And he's looking to us to go take the land. It, it's, it's right there in front of us. I mean, it's just right there. It's just right there in front of us. But he's asking us the same question. Do you believe my promise enough? Do you remember everything I've done for you? And do you believe my promise enough? 
that you'd be willing to just step into that future and you'd be willing to step into those moments and just speak. There'll be consequences, but are you willing to speak? Because I already have an eternity in store for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us a challenge to be not just any people, but your people. Help us to just uh, step into the promise that you have for us, the confidence of a plan that you have for our lives, a, a life that is greater because you're in it and you are greater. And help us to not focus with fear on the obstacles or let them get magnified in our life, but instead help us to just stay so near you, so grounded in your word, so surrounded by your people that we can remain confident and we can move forward and we can speak and we can just share what we know to be true. Lord, we pray that not another moment would go by, not another opportunity would be missed, but that we can say Jesus is Lord. We ask for that strength and that commitment in Jesus' precious name.